Hello and welcome to episode 425 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. With me is Ben Olson. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can be LSAT famous, uh, share news and ask questions on our website, thinkinglsat.com. Monday, November 13th, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, ben and I are going to do a little bit of co-teaching. This is a class that is going to be uh, live on Zoom. It's available to all of our paid subscribers. So all basic subscribers, all premium subscribers, all live subscribers. Uh, please come to Ben's class, uh, but I am going to be crashing uh, at least part of that class. And uh, it's always fun to be in the classroom with Ben. Um, Thursday, yeah. November 23rd. At five o'clock Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, my class is going to be free and that's free, free for everybody. All you need is a demon free account and you can come to my whole LSAT class on Thursday, November 23rd. Again, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a two hour all levels LSAT class appropriate for absolutely everybody. And I hope to see you there. Uh, go to LSAT.com link forward slash free if you'd like to see information about that class we have some breaking news for you yeah we've known that lsat logic games are going away eventually we've known that since 2019 when they settled a lawsuit we now know exactly when they're going away that's the august 2024 lsat will be the first lsat without the lsat logic games we also know how they're going to go away, which is they're just going to drop the games and they're going to add an additional section of logical reasoning. So yep. that's the news. It's nothing really super shocking because LSAT logical reasoning has been on the test for decades. Now there's just more of it. The reading comp doesn't change. The games are going away, which we kind of already knew. But we got some hot takes anyway. What, what are your first thoughts about this change? <laughs> well, my first, one of my first thoughts was, okay, yeah, how, how big of an impact is that going to have? And they seem to have addressed that in their email to us. And I don't know who else they sent it to, but they said, Hey, we've tested and determined that whether you just look at LR or logical reasoning or logical reasoning and games, you're going to get very, very similar results or predictive outcomes for performance in law school. I don't necessarily have any reason to doubt that. And so it's like, okay. But the second thought that came almost immediately after that was, wow, you know, we have all these old tests that have lots of logical reasoning. Great. Now we can take advantage of that even more. I don't know. They've been kind of sitting on the back burner. We, we use them, but there's just like so much LR. Now it's actually- Well, right. So the, good the reason why we have extra LR is because the test used to have two scored sections of logical reasoning on it. So when they yep. would release mm -hmm. practice tests- we would get two sections of LR for every practice test. And they did that for years and years and years. And I wrote thousands of explanations and, you know, we've got all these explanations in the demon. So there's a ton of logical reasoning content. Um, we just, you know, drop out eventually the games content and we're good to go because we've already got that stuff. I'm, yeah. You know, their analysis of it's going to have virtually no impact. Um, the specific claims, you know, they, they did go back. They did extensive research involving hundreds of thousands of test takers over multiple years. And I think they're going back and looking at their own administrations of the test, sure. right? Because they've yeah. got for decades, they've got two sections of LR, one section of games, one section of reading comp for the same student. And they could say like, well, what would have happened to their scores if we would have dropped out the games, essentially? Yep. 
Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say it has no impact on mean score. So the mean score has for 218,000 test takers was 150.82. And when they drop the, the games, it, the average score goes to 150.83. So Whoa. no impact on the, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like shockingly close, right? Yeah. <laughs> but okay. that to me indicates maybe something more about how they come to their 120 to 180 score in the first place. Right. Which is sure. They're weighting the sections. They know the difficulty of the test in advance, and then they create the scoring scale. Yeah. So it's, yeah. that seems like a bit of a tautology, maybe that it's oh, it's not going to change the average. Well, yeah, that's because you set the average. <laughs> the scoring scale is artificial. It's not the number sure. of questions correct. Yeah. It's like here's the score that we deem for that performance. The 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 sp- then they go into like, you know, they ad- they acknowledge while there are of course some variations at the individual level. For the overwhelming majority of individual test sessions, any shift in scoring was within the margin of error for the test. Ooh, interesting. Because that yeah. margin of error is larger than I think people might expect. Right. What is the margin of error for the test? From what I remember, it's three up and three down. So if you score a 170, <laughs> they're saying, well, you could be anywhere from a 167 to a 173, or is it a 168 to a 172? I can't remember. Right. But. So what's the difference between like, oh, I don't know, the 25th percentile LSAT and the 75th percentile LSAT at a typical law school? Uh, sometimes narrower than that, right? So pick a school at random. Chicago. Chicago for 2022 standard 509 ABA information report. You can find this anywhere. Their 75th percentile LSAT was 175. Their 25th percentile LSAT was 169. Hmm. So exactly six points. So exactly the margin of error (laughs) for the test and what they said. Okay. So then, I mean, what they're saying is, Yeah, for the overwhelming majority of individual test sessions, any shift in scoring was within that margin of error. So six points, which would turn you obviously outside of that, (laughs) right? Which would turn you from like the middle of the top of the class at Chicago to the middle of the bottom of the class at Chicago. Yeah, which is a big difference for individual test takers. And I have some thoughts on who's going to win and who's going to lose. You want to hear them? Yeah, shoot. Sure. So um, these are hot takes, right? Like I, this is just, I think the news came out all of what, three hours ago and we're talking about this. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about it, but winners, obviously, if you're better at LR than you are at logic games, then you win here. Um, Now there's five more takes uh, with games. Uh, That is November of this year. You have to already be registered for that though, because the deadline has passed January of 2024. February, April, and June of 2024. So five more chances to take it if you're good at the games. But anyway, back to my list of uh, winners and and losers. I think obviously people who are good at LR are going to win here. I think that tends to be poli-sci English types who show up best at logical reasoning and reading comprehension and worse at uh, games. I think that this might benefit, I want to get your take on it, but native English speakers. Yeah, if you're a non-native speaker, I suspect the games are probably easier for you. In my experience, yeah, on the loser's side, obviously people who are good at games 
better at games than they are at logical reasoning or reading comprehension, those people do tend to be international students, non-native English speakers. At the same time, it could be a win. Well, hmm. yeah, no, I think you're right. Because yeah. it's just that the bulk of reading is less, right? Like yeah. they, vocabulary matters a lot more for logical reasoning and for reading comprehension than it does for the games. There's no vocabulary in games that's ever even marginally confusing. Yeah. And that's not true in logical reasoning, reading comprehension. So it seems like it clearly benefits people um, who are native English speakers. Yeah. I, I was going to say that I thought that STEM types might be more on the on the side that it that this is bad for, because lots of times like people who show, you know, they're a electrical engineering or a computer science major and they show up like games are so easy. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. Again, I think they're going to I think they're going to lose, but I think overall they're still going to win because just in general, people with these STEM backgrounds tend yeah. to do better on all three sections. So even though they are going right. to do worse than what they would have, right. they're still probably going to end up doing better than the English types, unfortunately. Right. Or Except for depending the on non, who you are. <laughs> again, the non-native uh, speaker, non-native English speakers amongst them, yeah. I think are, I don't think this is good news for them. Um, I, a, f a former student sent me a suggestion that they thought that this might hurt accommodated students. Because I have heard people make the argument before that the games, if you have extra time, the games, you can just brute force every question. Like force. How, how could yeah. you possibly 100%. miss it? Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I think that maybe this uh, tips the scales back a little bit. I mean, of course, you can't get hurt if you, if you have extra time. But I think that this maybe reduces the benefit that the accommodated takers might have been getting on the games. Um, in that way, uh, maybe it moves us back a little more to parity, right? Where accommodations isn't as, as big helpful. of a, a, a yeah. benefit as we have perceived it to be. Um, on the winner's side, I think this benefits lazy students a lot because games, I've said for a long time, I thought games was the section of the test where they're testing, you know, how hard can you work? Mm -hmm. If you really, if you really bust your ass and did all of that prep, right? And you still have the opportunity to do it, by the way, for four or five more administrations of the test between now and June of next year, you can still do it um, if you want to do this. But boy, if you practice the hell out of those logic games, you end up killing the logic games. Yeah. And you walk into the test going, oh, I'm sure that I'm going to score perfect on that section of the test. And yeah, it's you also won't be able less, to do that anymore. I just remember, especially back in the day when we were doing two LR sections, a reading comp and a game section, I loved it when the games was in the middle because it was a mental break from that reading. Yeah. It's just, it's, a, it's fun. different. It's fun. It's like, you know, it yeah. feels that way in class too, right? Like when yeah. we do games, it's like, oh, wow, we're, you know, it's just this breath of fresh air. Um, so now it's going to be just the down to business. You know, I, I, I do think that games was the section that least obviously had anything to do with what you end up doing in law school. Uh, I think that logical reasoning is probably the section that has the most to do with what you're going to end up doing in law school, you know, seeing what the argument is, seeing what the evidence, assessing the evidence, um, re reading comp also is <laughs> very important. Um, or very much what you'll end up doing in law school and in legal practice. True, true. But I, I really, 
uh, over the over t- over time have come to see games as being highly relevant just to the the way that every legal challenge involves mm. so many layers of laws right you're like okay you got the federal statutes but you also yeah. got federal common law and then you got some state statute coming in and then you got some local ordinance and the games are just a baby version of trying to like mesh all of that together and get out what must be true sure yeah you can you can certainly make that case i mean i i, I don't think that they are irrelevant or not similar at all but yeah. I, I think that on their face they're maybe just not uh, mm-hmm. They're probably the least relevant. That's all very relevant, but lower than the other two. Yeah. Right. Uh, Back to the winners. So so yeah, I do think that lazy people like good for you. You're, you're not going (laughs) to have to grind it out and um, kill yourself for the games. You know, if you really hate it, you know, I would probably just not study that starting right now and plan on taking the test starting in August. Right. Like why not push it off? I think that yep. many of our current students, the those amongst you who are terrible at the games right now and just want to push it off. Great. Like you're a huge winner. Just don't take the LSAT until August and you never have to worry about it. Um, for those of you who are better at the games, you need to like get on it right now. Right. Like you've got your four or five more attempts five. If you're registered for November four, if you're not registered for November and those are going to be your attempts to go in there and get an LSAT score while you get the scoring boost that you're getting from the logic games. I had the same thought at the same time. I don't want people to rush it, right? Like to get this false artificial sense that, Oh, I've got to do it by June of 2024. It's like, not if you're not ready. Right. Yeah. Because you can improve at those other sections. Even if you're perfect at the games, you, you can uh, improve. Yeah. Um, cool. Last thing, I, I kind of win from this, I think, uh, because I wrote an entire book about <laughs> logical reasoning uh, and it is on Amazon. I lowered the price on that. It might not have taken effect to d- yet today, but it is going to go down on Amazon to the the cheapest that I can possibly sell the book without losing money. So um, <laughs> the law school admission council will get their licensing fee and Amazon will get their fee and the book will arrive in your hands. I will make $0 off of the deal. So I lowered <laughs> the price of that by about $30 nice. on, on Amazon. Uh, we also will be adding new logical reasoning classes to LSAT Demon Live. Very easy to do that. So we'll throw some bonus LR classes out at you. Yeah. Anything else? No. Just a, for anyone who's curious, brief history of the test. We went from... Um, Four sections, right? Two LR, one reading comp, one games. To three sections, one LR, one reading comp, one games. To now three sections, two LR, one reading comp. Yeah, and over time, logical reasoning has been 50% of the test. Yep. Then 33% of the test. Yeah. Now 66%. (laughs) It's wild. Really wild. Yep, but it's going to have no impact on scoring. So, <laughs> don't worry about that look this yeah. way <laughs> yeah well i mean you know as always the lsat will be a learnable test uh the questions will be fair they will yep. make sense on their face if you take the time to make sense of them uh the lsat's easy none of that's ever changing but uh farewell to the lsat logic games anything farewell. uh more you want to say before we wrap it up no, I, do. I was curious what you thought people would do. I mean, we just 
you just talked about, hey, if you want, if you're good at the games, you know, buckle up and try to get it, get it together before this expires. But what do you think the masses are going to do? I don't know. I think there will be a lot of people rushing to get it now, like do it while games is still there. The logic games have been easy, you know, recently for some people, the games have been easy. And if that is your strongest section, then I think you should probably hurry up and take it. So how long, Ben, did it take for you for games to like click? How long in your prep? I don't I don't know, actually. I don't remember. I mean, it must have been a couple of months. It was definitely okay. the thing I was focusing on the most. Right. Um, and that's how most people start. Right. And so I wonder if there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, oh, oh, I don't like this. OK, I'm waiting. Yeah, um, I, I could see it happening. I could I could certainly see people being like, well, look, uh, I'm not going to law school this cycle anyway. I'm not going to apply until, um, well, that, you know, the, that's the problem kind of, I guess the August test does get you, like if you take the August test and get your score back and apply right then, then you could be starting, you know, like that makes sense to start law school in 2025. Um, the problem with that approach and, and you wouldn't have to take it in August necessarily. There will be other administrations later in the, in, 2024 but at that point you start pushing yourself later in than you would want to apply in the application cycle where like your application won't come in until january or february and that can be bad uh very bad for people who want scholarships so the problem is that if you take that august test i feel like it it puts so much pressure on you to be one and done yeah no 100 percent. and i i think people who don't listen to the show and even those who do I think a lot of those folks, that's their that's their game plan. Yeah, well, it it gives people gonna an opportunity. Say, yeah, go ahead. It, it's it's to their benefit and it's to their detriment. It's to their benefit because kicking the can down the road on law school is always a good idea. Like yeah. like delaying, great. You know, yeah. you're never going to hear me or Ben ever object about yeah. you pushing law school off. Yep. But if you then also put all your eggs in one basket for August of 2024 LSAT. And, or if you kick it so far down the road that you don't take the LSAT until January and you're trying to apply really weirdly late in the cycle, then it's to your detriment. So it's, it's always to your benefit if you're patient, but if you're, if you like (laughs) just do nothing, then like hurry up and get, you know, do it for August. I think that's bad. Yeah, I think some people, though, you know, they just prep for August. They just ignore all of the logic game stuff. It's real easy for for like our current LSAT Demon Live students. I would expect that our games classes, the attendance for our games classes is probably going to go down. There's going to be people that are like, okay, I'll just wait until August 2024. But those to take the official test, that's totally fine. But those people should continue to understand to work on their logical reasoning and their reading comprehension. Yeah. No, no, I I agree. And I think a lot of people are going to do that, but then they're also going to feel like they're just not going to let go of, okay, I took it in August. My score is good enough and I don't want to wait. Yeah. Games tends to be high variance too, which that can be to students benefit, right? Because law schools really only care about your highest score. Mm, So mm -hmm. yeah, some people might consider section. Yeah. You might consider like a hybrid approach, right? Where you take it a couple times with the games and then have a plan on taking it in August, 2024 and beyond. 
so that yeah. you take it a couple times without the games for people yeah. who are not sure you know like maybe right now games is their median section yeah and they're like well i sometimes score perfect on the games though and it's my best section yeah but sometimes i score really bad on the games, so it's my worst section so yeah during this transition i guess i can see people doing kind of a hybrid approach but yeah if you're just like abjectly terrible at the games and you know you're never going to get better yeah then yeah you're the biggest winner in from this news we have an email here from taylor all right ben give it a shot yeah good afternoon to my surprise most attorneys i've spoken with have the mentality of just getting a good enough lsat to get into school and advise not to worry about the debt of law school my wife and I have paid off all our undergrad loans and I myself do not want to take on a hundred thousand K in debt or plus in debt to become a lawyer. My attorney friend advised me that I should take the LSAT as soon as possible, apply and not worry about the cost of law school. He explained that president Biden recently passed some student loan repayment plan where you can get a fixed dollar amount where you get a fixed dollar amount you have to pay for 20 consecutive years. As long as there are no breaks in the repayment, the remaining balance owed is forgiven. Does that sound batshit or what? <laughs> Shout out to Nate, Ben, and the entire Demon team. Thank you, Taylor. Taylor, um, wow. When you started talking about attorney friends, I have this kind of assumption that they're going to be pretty savvy about this whole process, even some law that President Biden passed and know <sighs> that these laws change. I don't know. It's wild. And they have tons of exceptions, right? As an attorney, you just learn nothing is set in stone. <laughs> it, this uh, this fixed dollar amount you have to pay for 20 consecutive years, what we're talking about there is income-based repayment. Yep. And they have been tinkering recently with the income-based repayment system but income-based repayment is scary as hell ben and i have talked about this several times on the show including episode 419 of the thinking lsat podcast the title there was called loan forgiveness traps it was exactly on this issue so hopefully that whole episode will be useful to you taylor and and to your attorney friend but you're you're trusting when you do that, you know, you borrow the money up front. Nothing has ever nothing's changed about that. You borrow the money. You sign your life away. And then you pay a fixed dollar amount determined by your income. So you have to be like not making a lot of money. Then they calculate a low payment for you. If you are making a decent amount of money, they're going to calculate a higher payment for you. That's the fixed dollar amount. So then you will be paying the service on that loan for apparently 20 consecutive years. I mean, I thought that these were 10 year plans, but now did they actually? I mean, I don't even know if this is real because I, I feel like this is all such a fucking scam anyway. But if they really did extend this now, oh, yeah, well, we're going to put you on a 20 year um, uh, income based repayment plan. The scariest thing about this is that if they put you on a low payment, you know, you're, it's because you're broke. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, that's the whole point of the plan. It's like, you know, and it sounds like on the surface, it sounds so great because it's like, well, you know, we're going to allow people access to this education and then we're going to give them a payment that is that fits what, you know, they can actually afford this payment. But the, the, the loan is still on you. And the principle of that loan very likely will be increasing, not decreasing, because your payment could be so low that it's not even going to pay back the interest on the loan. And especially now that interest rates have gone up a little bit, uh, you know, that like makes the problem even worse. And you're trusting this whole time that this 20 years from now, the debt is going to go away, which, yeah, there are some circumstances under which that debt can actually go away. But there are also um, lots of circumstances where that debt <laughs> ends up not going away. And rather than rehash the whole thing, you should probably just go go listen to episode 419 about loan forgiveness traps. Yeah, we'll say it in one word, Taylor. Batshit. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes, that's a good place to uh, wrap that up. We could also, I'll, I'll call it, a, I'll use another one word, which would be uh, turd. That's a turd, not a pearl. That's a turd. Um, the all-time scoreboard on the pearls versus turd uh, now is 26 pearls of wisdom, 75 unfortunate turds like that one. Uh, if you have a pearl versus turd candidate, you can let us know at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social everywhere at thinkinglsat. And please do hit it, hit us up with that. We love to hear what kind of advice you're getting out there. Um, you could even do it by voice, by the way, if you go in a quiet place and you just do a, vo a voice memo on your phone, um, we very likely would play your voice on the Thinking LSAT podcast. Just uh, give that a shot. Hit us up on our website. Yeah. This next one is from Anonymous. The topic is LSAT pressure just keeps getting worse. <laughs> okay. So uh, this student had graduated in 2021 and they've been feeling pressure by their family and friends to take the LSAT and apply to law school. So two years post-graduation, Anonymous says, I become really depressed when I hear my parents remind me that I am still studying for the LSAT and she actually just told me she has been asking around for how the LSAT process goes from one lawyer she met and people from the television. Okay, so your mom is trying to do some informal <laughs> research. Well, one lawyer she met, that makes sense. But how is she interviewing people from the television? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining Anonymous's mom just talking to the TV, which is like, we can't really help you with that problem. Um, okay, anyway, Anonymous, apparently, this is background information, took their first official LSAT with no prep and scored a 120. That's the lowest you can possibly score. They canceled that score. Uh, now they're discouraged by their lack of progress. Okay, but we don't have any idea what you've been doing for prep. Anyway, uh, Anonymous says, I struggle with logical reasoning and games the most. For a while, I was doing a lot of the practice tests so I could understand more, but that was not working. So I started to practice and review each question slowly. I'm able to understand once it's explained, but then when I'm trying to work on it alone, I start to get a little lost and then I do not answer the questions correctly. I study every day 
and I try to get at least four or five hours in. I do get burnt out some days and moments which I am not too sure if that's normal. <sighs> Is there anything I could do to make my exam process more effective so I can start improving? Because I do not feel I am. I really would love to go to law school for a lot of reasons, but this whole pressure thing is in my way. Uh, thank you, Anonymous, for writing in. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, starting with a 120 is a, is a tough place to start. Uh, you're doing worse than actually just guessing randomly. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't make progress. You certainly could. You said that you're doing four to five hours a day. That sounds like an awful lot. We often tell people to aim to do one to two uh, really good hours. I'm not surprised that you occasionally get burnt out. Um, you're probably doing all this work because of the pressure. I I feel like your best shot at doing well in the LSAT and getting into a law school for free or very, very close to free is going to involve... Um, giving up on this idea that this is going to happen this year. Uh, I'd rather you pursue some other goal and have this be a secondary goal so that you're not depending on it. But if you continue to make progress and you start to enjoy the test more, then great. Take the LSAT and go to law school. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're not just doing practice test after practice test after practice test. So you could, what did you say? So I could understand more. That's not a good way to prep. Just doing test after test after test without review is not, that's not helpful. So I, I really liked it when you said I started to practice and review each question slowly. I think that's what it's all about for you. Anonymous you have to get to the point where you're going to just start figuring out the first, like, let's say five or 10 questions in the section, because let me be really frank with you to score a 120. I mean, it's a lot. It's a it's like a complete lack of engagement with the words on the page. I mean, you're you're repelling the correct answers at that point. Like you have you're not adding any value. You're. And I, you know, you, you haven't given me any recent practice tests, so maybe you're scoring higher than that now. But if you keep saying lack of progress and, you know, you don't feel like you're making any progress. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me like you're just skipping off of, you know, like you're just not penetrating the, the meaning at all. Because if you did, then you would start to get a lot of these easier questions, right? Uh, the you know, for the people who are eventually going to be successful in this field, um, many of these questions are self-explanatory. Like they, they just, you shouldn't, you shouldn't need really any guidance or help. It's not about LSAT tricks or techniques or jargon or question types or anything. It's just what are the words on the page? And we do sometimes see people who start in the 120s and then have like a 30 point improvement. But that like that comes from at its core, that comes from reading more carefully and actually understanding the words that are on the page. I mean, we can help you if you, you know, come work with us at LSAT Demon. 
we will guide you toward that. We'll help you understand the words on the page. But that's really what's going on here is that you're like not understanding anything you're reading. Yeah, I want to I want to add to that, too, because Anonymous says I am able to understand once it's explained. But then when I try to work on it alone, I start to get a little lost and then I do not answer <laughs> the questions correctly. I'm wondering how much you really do understand once it's explained. It's very, very common for people to listen to someone else explain yep. something, nod in agreement and be like, oh, yeah, OK. And then the test just comes when you say, OK, what did I just tell you or what? How would you explain this to someone else? And you start to try to articulate it and you just can't. <laughs> there's something that's missing in your understanding. So yeah. there's a feeling of understanding, but it's not actually there. So anyways, just really um, when you do get something explained to you, try to then turn around and explain it back. Yeah. And, and when you're working on new LSAT questions, I, you know, I want you to spend all the time that is required to get one question right. I just when you hit submit, I want you to find out that you were right. I would encourage you to go to LSATdemon.com and use our free account. You can drill real LSAT questions. You will be presented with one LSAT question take unlimited time, get it right or get it wrong. And then if you get it right, it'll give you another one that's maybe a little harder. If you get it wrong, it'll give you one that's a little bit easier. Anonymous, if you're really struggling this much, I would anticipate that you would log on and miss a question. You would then miss another question maybe. And then the, the algorithm will be giving you like the very easiest questions right at your level. And then I want you to take all the time that's necessary, like figure it out and start getting them right. Because if you're not like you have to be able to unlock these questions on your own and it's not really a matter of like. There's no secret, there's no secret tricks for the easy questions. It's just like, no, you really have to understand what what they're saying. I, I don't want to like um, dunk on anonymous, but. I have to point out that like your writing is not great in this email. Like there's just multiple typos and bad grammar, you know, like, you know, it was right off at the top of the email. You said, I become really depressed when I hear my parents remind me that I am still studying for the LSAT. And she actually just told me she, <laughs> I mean, in the same sentence, you went from talking about your parents and then you just Plural. go yeah. into your mom she i i guess and it, it it's a run-on sentence and i get it you know you're tossing off an email to some podcasters and you that's fine but um later in the email you use the word every day you said i study every day but you put you made it one word and that would never that's not that's the incorrect usage of that word i mean it is a word you know like the phrase everyday people or mm -hmm. everyday shoes or whatever <laughs> Yeah, you could have adjective. that be one word. But yeah. if you say I put on shoes every day, that's two words. You're alternating between two spaces between sentences and one space between sentences. I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's other things I could criticize in the writing. And and all this is to say that when we go into LSAT world, you know, you go into lawyer world. 
you have to understand that you're like entering this arena where people do battle using the English language as their weapon. Yep. Both written, both written and oral, but primarily written. Right. Reading and writing is everything. Yeah. And so, you know, um, the way when I read this email, I read it and I people think I'm a dick, but I, you know, I'm just being honest. I read this and I go, yeah, that's somebody who doesn't really like they're. <laughs> it just doesn't look like a lawyer to me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't get there, but right. it's going to take some work. Oh, it doesn't mean that you aren't. It yeah. just means that on this one email, I have no idea who you are, but I see this email and I go, yeah, that ain't going to happen. So, you know, like you've got like the email, you, you have to tighten it up if that's the case. And and if you're if it really is like you're just not that good at reading and writing, OK, it can still happen for you. But in that case, my prescription is like start reading books a lot, read books all the time. Yep. Practice reading and writing a lot. Work on the LSAT. Absolutely, because you can improve your English a lot working on the LSAT. You know, but it's like, but then it's like, okay, so two years from now, you can get that 120 to a 160 and be a reasonable law school candidate. Yeah. But it's, it's absolutely not like take my three month course and you will, you know, (laughs) no, that's not how this looks to me. Yeah. You know, I want to add something about your reading and writing comment. And I think this is a tip for everyone. Um, my kids have to write stuff in school all the time and they write it and then they want me to look at it and to give them some feedback. And I always tell them, Hey, like learn how to use the tools that are available to you. So for example, take your writing and put it in Grammarly. And when they do that, they instantly just accept every suggestion that Grammarly makes. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, it's telling you, like, did you see what it's just suggested there? Like, why do you think it told you to put a period there instead of a comma? And of course, it's almost like always, I don't know, dad, but I have them like Grammarly actually explains it. If you're willing to just look at it, yeah. so many people could benefit from just, hey, you anytime you write something or <laughs> just put it into Grammarly and don't just accept these changes. Yeah. Look at Grammarly as a very smart tutor. It's saying, look, this is how this should be written. Here's why you might disagree occasionally, but for the vast majority of cases, you can become a better writer and attorneys are good writers or they should be. They're, they're not always, but they, they should be the best ones are. (laughs) Yeah, they, they should be. And having a good editor is such a blessing. You know, I, it it was like a couple of years ago that I was writing, um, a a lot of like newsletters and stuff. And Abigail was editing for me Mm. and it, I mean, I did accept all of her suggestions. I also looked at all of her suggestions and tried to get better at the shit that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like take all the opportunities you can to read and write and get help. And this is the type of thing. This email is the type of thing where Grammarly or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of tools there that would have improved, you know, taught you some things, uh, that you could then clean up the sharper you can be right in your everyday reading and writing. Oh, when you're reading stuff, look up words. Yep. Critical. Look up words so that you can you're just sharpening your tools that you're going to eventually use to do battle in this gladiator arena that is the legal world. Yep. 
Next one is from Anonymous. The subject is LSAT Demon user feeling out of sync with the test. I have been an active user of LSAT Demon since January and have very much enjoyed the service. I felt prepared for the August exam, but unfortunately got caught up in the LSAT proctoring failures and thus had LSAC cancel my score. I plan to take it in November and since September have been re-engaging with the materials and LSAT Demon, but have found myself no longer feeling as in sync with the test as I had been. For example, I struggle to go back to setting up worlds for logic games, and I seem to fall back in to my pre-LSAT demon patterns for test taking. I'm not sure how to get back into the flow and was curious if you or your team had any advice. I'm doing lots of drills and timed sections, but haven't dove back into a full timed test as I don't feel like I am drilling to the skill level I was before and want to focus on the accuracy based approach. I am wondering if you have any ideas in approach or process that can reignite the good rhythm I previously had. Thank you. Uh, that's anonymous. It sounds like anonymous knows some of the things that, um, he or she can do. It says, I struggle to go back to setting up worlds for logic games. Okay. So you know that you're, you're not doing worlds or trying to do worlds as much as you did before. Just start with one thing, just make that realization. And then next time you drill a game say, okay, I'm going full fledged into making worlds. Okay. Let me try my best. And then just tackle this one little step at a time. Yeah. Um, what are the basics, Ben? Like, what are what are the basics of the test? I I, I, I think would, that's yeah. Because I'm I'm trying to analogize like what, how do we get back into something? You know, like we used to be feel like we were good at this thing. How do we get? How do we go back to the basics? And the thing that I'm best at, other than LSAT, is golf. I've been playing golf since I was like ten. Okay. Um, like I was good enough to play in high school, but not in college. <laughs> That's how good I am. Okay. Not, not, not that great, <laughs> but it's my best athletic thing by far. And I enjoy it. And it's something that you can do until you're, you know, 80 years old. And I plan on being 80 years old someday. So I'm a golfer anyway. I, yeah. you know, I, I sometimes lose it and it'll, it'll be gone. Like it'll, it'll be like, I, I, my ability to play golf well will just disappear. And, the, and then it's really like, okay, how do we come back to fundamentals? So in my, in my own experience, taking some time off can help a lot. Take, take, you know, it sometimes if I play golf too many days in a row, I can lose it. And then it's kind of good for me to just step away from it completely. So there's one tip about, I mean, for, for anonymous. Um, the other ones are just like real basic fundamentals, like keep your head down, you know, or, um, I don't know, just, just real simple shit. So what are those things in LSAT world? Well, I think, uh, first thing that comes to mind is not trying to bite off more than you can chew. It's just doing one question 
trying to understand it. And that even means just doing one sentence and trying to understand it. Um, you've talked about with golf before how you take a deep breath, I think, before you swing. I don't know if you do that every time, but I could almost see this person like, yeah, they take that break. They maybe don't do LSAT stuff for a week, but then when they get back into it, it's like, hey, we're just doing one question right now. And what does that mean? That means you fundamentally have to understand what you're reading. If you understand it and you got your mind wrapped around what the author is trying to say, whether that's in games, logical reasoning, or reading comp, then you're the boss. And now you can manipulate that information however you need to, to answer the question or to figure out what must be true. And where does that start? Well, that starts with taking a deep breath and then just believing that you can understand what you're about to read and then yeah. putting in the effort to actually yeah. understand it and understand that you can be the smartest player in the room. Yeah. And that, you know, that advice goes, goes to the previous email as well, right? You have to be that person. You got to be the, the one mm -hmm. who's going to understand those words on the page. And, and you can, I, I believe that you can, because <laughs> if you can't, you should just go ahead and give up now because we're not going to be there on the day of the test. You know, like the day of the test, you're going to read LSAT questions that no one has ever seen before. Yep. And you're going to be encountering them on your own. And the good news that I try to deliver to my students is it makes sense. You can make sense of it. It's all right there on the page. These questions answer themselves. A lot of people show up to this test and on the very first test they ever take cold diagnostic 160 or 165, yep. you know, getting... Yep. The majority of the questions, right. Just solving them. No prior LSAT knowledge. Now, don't feel bad if you're starting with a 130 or a 140 or a 150. Some people start in the 160s, whatever. That's that's just how it is. But the point is that. You can just answer the question. <laughs> I mean, they're asking you a question and you can answer it that yep. they use. They use literal English uh, dictionary definitions, you know, not always the first definition, but it's a, a common use of these words in, in the vast majority of cases, there's one answer that answers the question and there's four that just don't. And, and many times there's four answers that can be conclusively ruled out for saying shit that is just clearly wrong. So the, yeah, that's the one fundamental, right? The core one thing is these questions make sense. I can solve them. I'm going to solve the question. Anything more about having been in sync and, and then trying to get back into it? Well, I guess this, the thought that comes to my mind, which m would probably have to do with that, but also just LSAT prep in general. Um, how do I describe this? When you're studying for the LSAT, you're getting better at reading. You're getting better at figuring out what is being said and what must be true based on what is being said and what is not necessarily true based on what's being said. And those are core skills for doing better on the LSAT, but they're also core skills for doing better in law school and doing better as an attorney. Extremely, like extremely relevant. <laughs> 
do not fall into the trap of thinking that the LSAT is some weird obstacle that you have to get over that has nothing to do with actual law school. And, you know, yeah. this is a myth that's perpetrated by law schools themselves, law schools themselves, who all they want is your application. They say crazy shit like, oh, the LSAT has no bearing on your success in law school. You know, this, you're not just a number to us. This is a this doesn't mean that much. Just go ahead and apply. Well, yeah, I mean, they want you to come pay $50,000 a year for their school. But we hear from so many former students saying, I can't really understand why people think that this stuff is hard, because all you have to do is just read the record. And then the answer is right there. It's yeah. just like people are shocked at how literal it is, mm -hmm. how like technical, tech, technical it is. So. I guess what I'm thinking here is you realize that all the effort that you're putting in is going to help you get a good LSAT score, which can help you go to a great school, hopefully for free. But also it's going to help you in law school. It's going to help you become a better attorney. So yeah. all these things that you're doing are going to have long-term effects on who you are as, a, as an attorney. And so have fun with it. Like enjoy mm. the process, enjoy what you're getting out of it. If, like you said, so many people do view this as like an obstacle. Oh, I just got to get this one thing done out of the way. Anytime you feel that way about a task, the task is just less fun, more painful, probably not something you're going to do as well at. You just have to get through it. Let's not just get through it. Let's, let's glean stuff out of it every time you sit down to practice. Last little thing for anonymous for me that they say um, they seem to be worried about like, well, I haven't gotten back into full timed tests. Um, I don't care. I don't. Who cares? And I don't really even care about your timed sections. If you're trying to just get in sync. Then you just need to take it one question at a time. And our drilling algorithm should keep you in sync. Because when you miss questions, it's going to pretty quickly adapt and start giving you some easier ones. The, the vast majority of your points on the LSAT are going to come from easy questions. So if you start missing questions and the algorithm starts giving you some easier questions, well, okay, good. That's what the test, you know, it doesn't do it in that way, but the test gives you lots of easy questions. It's a critical part of being good at the LSAT is getting easy questions right. So use the drilling tool. Just do one question at a time. Just do one game at a time. And, you know, on the game. You're not timing yourself, so you're just going to look at opportunities to build the rules into your diagram, a.k.a. making worlds. <laughs> we always start with one world. And it's just, you know, some rules are like, well, P goes sixth. OK, put P sixth in your one world and then some rules S goes first or seventh. OK, well, I might need to make two. P's sixth S is first or seventh. OK, so now I have two worlds, but just take your time to find those systematic solutions to the game where you're going to bake the rules in where you're then going to just be really predicting the answers to most of the questions. Um, so yeah, last thing I wanted to say was just, boy, use drilling and take it one question at a time. By the way, I want to talk about worlds because yesterday I did a class, 
That's a great yeah. point, by the way. But to just build on that, um, <clears throat> I was teaching, we were doing two games in class and this, the first game was two worlds and, and the two worlds that I set up were the same two worlds that I think everyone there set up. It was just an obvious place to create two worlds or to split. Sounds like rule. a great teaching game where, you know, for where it's like, hey, do the Yeah. So LSAT Demon Live subscribers, if you missed Ben's uh, class yesterday, that was October 16th. Um, you can go watch that recording of Ben. Yeah. So we did that game and I almost everyone said, yes, I did worlds and I did worlds on the basis of why, because they had these two slots that one yep. could go in and it just made sense because everything else was actually pretty set in place. And then the other variables were free. They could go wherever they wanted. Right. So either people did worlds and they did those two or they didn't do worlds. And then we went to the next game. The next game had a lot more moving pieces. It had five rules that were listed out. Of course, there are more rules in the actual setup, but five rules listed out. All of them were conditional. So any one of them could be a prime rule yeah. for starting worlds, right? You could say, hey, yep. if F does this, then this other thing happens. So I'm going to create a world where F is in and a world where F is out. Yep. But <clears throat> the, the point here is that that game, and because of there was so much more flexibility, led to a lot of people creating worlds on the basis of different things. And because you could do so many options, what ended up happening was I created four worlds initially, and then I split one of those worlds and I was able to bake in four of the five rules, I think. Nice. And then we had one rule left. And if I wanted to get rid of that last rule, I could have taken, I think, three of the five worlds that I had and split each of those. Yeah. And then I'd end up with eight worlds, right? And I said to them, I said, look, I can do that. And I think that a lot of times we think about worlds and we think every time like, okay, there are two options for this scenario, for this world. So I'm going to go ahead and split it into two worlds. Um, but you don't have to. You can also just take that rule and say, hey, look, for these three worlds, I'm going to write down the rule or at least the version of it that matters because some of that rule didn't matter. <laughs> Only a certain part of it did. And I'm just going to leave it there so I don't have to continue splitting this. But now I've taken a five rule game and I've turned it into a one rule game. But even yeah. then, it's probably like a half a rule because yeah. some of the worlds have already taken care of that rule. And the worlds that have it, I've only written down the part of the rule that mattered. Yeah. So it, it's like people are thinking, oh, I have to go all the way or I don't go any way at all. And it's like, no, you can either split or you can just put that you can just write that rule yeah. into that world yeah. and i wanted people to understand that because i think they don't see that as an option you know we have this new thing in the in the explanations in the demon we have the the slides um yeah i guess we're just calling them diagram explanations um, sure that abigail has been making and they're awesome and it shows like step one step two step three step four step five to a pretty exhaustive solution to the game in most cases yeah one thing i've been doing in class a lot is i've been sharing my screen to show each of those steps and at many of them you could just go tackle the questions it's yeah. like well we could stop here or you know do we want to make this next split okay let's look at slide three to split one or more of the worlds and, and it's like keep dicing it you know 
But yeah, like the first slide is always, OK, so here's the world we're living in. And sometimes it's just one diagram. Sometimes it's two or more if we make a split right away. Mm -hmm. But I think that in practice, you know, it's it's a lot less frequently going to be all the way to step five or whatever. Yeah, because you're not necessarily going to find all of the shortcuts, but you don't have to, because if you can bake in even one rule. You're already making progress, you bake in yep. one more rule to make one split, and now all of a sudden you're playing a two world three rule game mm -hmm. exactly. instead of, uh, you know, the full solution might be what, what, what did you say Four, five world one rule game. Yeah, there was eight worlds actually in that case. Or so I just eight stopped at five zero, worlds. Eight yeah. world zero rule game. Yep. Right. And that's fine. Like, but that's actually the point is that any one of those stops, you're already ahead of everybody who didn't do that. Yep. Because they're playing a zero world five rule game. Or maybe one world because they're right. creating some sort of setup. They, they put something it. in a template. Yeah. And okay, so and that, but but they still have like all five rules sometimes, right? Yeah, yep. that's if, especially if they do like the not rules, you know, like if, mm, just if we're thinking oh, about geez. a basic sequencing game. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I don't even talk about that anymore. But that used to be something I talk about so much because I know. other companies were pushing it, and it's like, uh -huh. no, no, I want to figure out what's happening, what not what's not happening. <laughs> yeah, and that's a perfect <sighs> example where it's like, man, you can you can have this one world. And yeah. you're like, well, because P goes before S, I know that S can't go first and you write that <laughs> into your world, but you still haven't actually incorporated the rule P before S. You've incorporated an implication of that rule, which is yeah. S can't go first. But the rule P before S is very much still alive and you're going to have to process that. You still have to so, think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. So the rule actually hasn't gone away, even no, though you have a world. No. So when you're creating these worlds, you should be having the goal of removing these rules and that's yeah. your really marker of success. Right. You, you'd want to bake it in more fully. And that rule, that type of rule can be really hard to bake in, by the way, because if we yeah. have seven spots and the rule is P before S, it's like, shit, what am I going to do? Write out all the combinations of P before S? No yeah. way. Like P is first. OK, so S can go second, third, fourth, fourth fifth, yeah. sixth, seventh. Okay, there's seven, <laughs> you know, six worlds. And then wait, but if P goes second, then S can go third, fourth, Three, four, five. And, yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, you've got like 50 worlds. OK, so clearly that's not where I'm going to make my first split. As yeah. Ben said earlier, conditional rules can be a really great trigger. If it says if P's first, then S goes third, then mm -hmm. it's like, OK, world where P's first and a world where P's not first. Yep. In the world where P's first, S is third. In the world where P's not first, I don't care about that rule. And now I've baked that rule right into two worlds. I never have to think about that rule again by killing yep. it in those yep. two worlds. So that's what the worlds-based approach really is. But that was a long digression for Anonymous, who was feeling out of sync. Should we move on to the next email? <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> this is from TH. The subject is, update about the reason for my appeal to the test limit, period. Okay. Okay. Oh, this. So, uh, yeah. You remember this? I I, I don't remember this. T. I apparently um, th wrote us in before and um, thanked us for or wrote oh. in recently. I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I was thinking that this was the one who had who had appealed on the grounds that they can score oh. higher. Oh. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Yeah. Which made me laugh. But this is not that person. Um. 
Yeah, so apparently TH wrote in and thanked us for helping them reach their dream score of 175 on the September LSAT. So first, congratulations. That's an amazing score. This was apparently TH's sixth attempt, and they had also successfully appealed for a seventh attempt before getting their score back. Love it. So now they won't need their seventh attempt, but geez. That's an interesting side note, right? Yeah. Because right now the max is five times in five years. Yep. So appealing for a seventh attempt shows that um, certainly a sixth attempt is possible. Yep. Anyways, look at here's... the grounds. Yeah, the, these grounds make a lot of sense. It says, I appealed the sixth attempt hmm. on the basis of the big mismanagement from Prometric regarding the test appointment. I made my appointment on a Sunday morning, 8 a.m. EST. However, on Saturday's noon time, I was called by Prometric that I have to come take the test right away in the afternoon because the test center won't be open on Sunday. Whoa. I was shocked. I had to cancel my hotel, which I failed to do. I drove very long answers, very long hours to the test center. I appealed by stating that my mental equilibrium was totally disrupted and my peak performance hours are only in the morning. They granted me the chance to retake. The respective scores I got from the six tests are 158, which was canceled. Another test, which was canceled. 157, 159, 166, 175. (laughs) The most recent 30 practice tests that I did had an average score of 175, and I was amazed about the accuracy of that predictive power on recent practice tests. What do you make of this test history? Uh, It looks like somebody who was either not really prepared on their first couple attempts, which is really, really common. Um, I'm surprised how (laughs) it's like, it's just basically going, well, I guess it's just flat at first, 158 cancel 157 that kind of feels like oh and then 159 so it feels like you're going nowhere yep then 166 then 175 damn um yeah i mean that looks like somebody who did something pretty dramatically differently in their prep and or got accommodated but but not just accommodated like that's not that's not just accommodations if it is accommodations at all that is definitely like improving your understanding of the test yeah what is that where you what you were getting at or yeah what? yeah no it, it almost it seems like like so many people that we encounter right and i don't know how long th has been with us but people just take the test right they just go take it and they take it again and it's like wait a sec what are your practice tests telling you don't take it until you're ready I mean, it's certainly possible that TH was having great scores on their practice test and then went and took it four times and still kind of got these middling, you know, scores. But well, I mean, it's like Taylor at the top of the show today talking about how their lawyer friend is is just coming with like, oh, just take the LSAT right away. Just go to law school. Don't worry about it. There's loan forgiveness. Just go do it. So, I mean, that, that happens a lot. And I'm sure that the schools see tons of people who have score records like that yeah 
But all the power to you, TH. I mean, so many people who would get a 158, a cancel, a 157, and 159 would stop there and say, okay, apparently that's where I score officially. And for whatever reason, you realize that you could do better, you did do better, and then you realize that you could do even better, and you took it again, and you appealed for a seventh attempt. That's a future attorney. It is. Um, I'm... I'm very curious why you went to take it at a Prometric testing center. Uh, that seems like a bad decision. Uh, you had to book a hotel to go take it at a Prometric testing center. Wow. Sounds like it's far away. Why don't you just take it at home? I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, you could have, and, and if you like, you don't have a quiet space, there's probably a hotel. Like, why don't you go to the, the nearest hotel to you that has yeah. good Wi-Fi? Yep. Go to the hotel, I mean, bring your laptop, take it there. Yep. Like business hotels have good Wi-Fi. Like you'll you'll be, I mean, even shitty hotels have probably good Wi-Fi. Good enough for these purposes. I, I, I'm, I don't get why you wanted to take it at an in-person testing center because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've heard it's only been what, Ben, like two months since Prometric even happened? Yeah. I mean, and you say heard, hotel, I would say Airbnb, but anyways, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, what? I, it, sure. It, totally. That is pretty brutal that they're just calling you the day before telling you, hey, you have to come in and take it right now because we're canceling your test tomorrow. What? Huh? Um, the last thing I wanted to say, and maybe it should have been the first thing that I said, was this appeal uh, is brilliant. You, it, I, I. I think that you're going to be able to get a lot of appeals through by saying, hey, you guys had problems with the administration of the test. Yeah, it's hard for them to say no. Right. Right. I mean, especially because you're going to be paying them probably again to take it again. Right. I mean, Although, I, yeah, this is a pretty bad. This one looks there. like a free retake. <laughs> yeah. But if you're not yeah. arguing for a free retake, if you're arguing for just like, look, I want to, all I want to do is just be able to have a, an exemption to this five times in five years because Prometric mangled the proctoring. Yeah. It is really hard for them to say no to that. Okay. Uh, next one. Anonymous has a 3.7 GPA, big law work experience, and a high practice test of 177. And here's what they say. Does your recommendation to, quote, apply as early as possible or not at all follow for Harvard, Yale, Stanford? No matter how my score, no matter my score on the January test, I will not and that's bold and italicized and underlined. Okay. <laughs> I will not be applying this cycle to any schools that offer merit aid. As any offer I get from that school will almost certainly be markedly better if I hold until the next cycle, keeping the cookies off the shelf. That said, if I were to score an above median LSAT at Harvard, Yale, or Stanford, might it be worth applying to them late in the cycle, given the fact that the game being played for those schools is slightly different? Oh, but those are the best cookies. <laughs> they are, man. That's the like, that's the one. I don't know what your cookie is, your cookie of choice. Um, But those are the one. And if you 
if you have those on the shelf, you're definitely going to eat them, aren't you? <laughs> so, yeah, like, and, you know, and maybe you're deciding in advance that, yeah, it doesn't matter what Michigan offered me. I would, I would definitely still, go to Harvard. I just don't think you're going to know until you're facing the reality of it. The stipend from Michigan. It's an amazing place. I mean, it's badass. Like it is a very. It's very Hogwartsian. It's a cool. It's a really cool place. And there's other really cool places, you know, um, a stipend from Columbia or, a, a you know, uh, there's just other places besides Harvard, Yale, Stanford. You're also going to be the top, top, top of those classes. <laughs> and at Harvard, Yale, and Stanford, you might be in the middle. I'm not saying that's a problem. People wisely and frequently decide to go to HYS despite being in the middle, not being the best, not <laughs> getting ride. money. But <laughs> Full ride to UCLA, live in Santa Monica. Yeah. Full ride to UC Berkeley, live in Berkeley or San Francisco. Uh, I don't know, whatever. You might not like these places. Um, know your worth. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't really do the full broad application, you'll never know what those offers might have been. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if your goal is to become a law professor, then you could probably just apply to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, because you kind of have to go to those schools anyway, if you want to be like a law professor. True. Um, Supreme Court justice, maybe I would say the same thing. It's a weird goal. <laughs> well, it's a high, it's a high goal. <laughs> it's a high um, goal. It's just like, uh, OK, you're probably not going to succeed. So <laughs> what's your fallback? I mean, just yeah. practically speaking, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, and and you will be incurring, you know, uh, depending on your financial circumstances, you you will be incurring like half a million dollars of debt to finance Harvard Law School for three years. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're poor, um, it's possible that you'll end up getting having zero debt. I mean, they, they make very generous need-based offers to yep. a lot of students. Yep. So you could get, you know, you could throw off, toss off the application. You've got great credentials. Maybe you do get an offer from one of those schools, but unless it's an offer, that's like truly just a dream offer. Um, I would certainly want to see what other schools have to say. Okay. Uh, next one is from anonymous. The subject is academically dismissed. Oh, we're going to do a uh, kind of maybe more rapid fire here. We have uh, a, a handful of UGPA related questions, three of them. Okay. So anonymous says I was academically dismissed from undergrad over 20 years ago, parentheses, party animal, <laughs> the incompletes turned into F grades. Fast forward. I went back to school and just finished with a 3.9 GPA 20 years later. Wow. Though I'd be an older student, would I even have an admission chance if my past and current GPAs are averaged? I can't hide the poor GPA because I used the past A grades to transfer credits toward the current GPA. I know you always say 
if you have a 175 LSAT, it won't matter if you have a low GPA. Any advice would be most appreciated before I invest in the demon. What is your average GPA? I mean, ultimately, that's what you're going to have to submit. Yep. UGPA is where it's at. You're going to have to have all those transcripts uploaded to the law school admission council, and they will tell you what your UGPA adjusted uh, GPA or your, your LSAC adjusted GPA is. It will include all of your grades, uh, including all of those F's. So I think we can assume that it's going to be bad. Like, it, you know, I don't care how good you were when you went back. Um, it's probably going to be bad. So you're going to be an extreme splitter. Let's say, Ben, it's a 2.5 and a 175. Okay, we don't always say that it won't matter if you have a low GPA. We're just <laughs> saying that <laughs> um, you can recover with a high LSAT to some degree. Obviously, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, which we were just talking about, are now out of the picture. Yeah, that ship has sailed But uh, in, in the vast majority of cases. Yeah. Um, wait, what was your question again? Sorry. What was my question? Yeah, I thought you had a question. But anyways... <laughs> For this person, just get the best score you can get. You have a 2.5, you have a 175, yeah. put it into the estimator. That's lsidemon.com forward slash scholarships. Are you doing yep. that right now? Yeah. And, and I, some so, schools will be free. Well, Wash U in St. Louis, it says that they would be likely to give you a more than 50% scholarship to go to their school. So it's not okay. just you're getting in, it's you're, you're getting, you're, you're going to pay less than the average student there now wash U does give shit tons of scholarships. I mean, they're not shy about it. They, they are attracting high LSAT people with scholarship money yep. and it's pretty common. Um, the first full ride that I see is Kansas ranked 40th in the country. They have a shitty LSAT profile. It seems that they would be likely to give you a scholarship, Arizona, St. John's, Florida, international, Georgia state, Mizzou. Denver, Penn State, Upper Peninsula, Drake, hmm. Duquesne. I mean, these are all schools in the top 100 that the estimator says, well, last year, based on publicly available ABA 509 data, it's all linked right in the estimator, by the way, including a description of our methodology. We think you probably would have gotten an offer from them. Um, you wouldn't get an offer from all of those schools, I wouldn't anticipate. But I would anticipate that if you applied to 15 or 20 schools, you'd be looking, you know, in a, in those, in that range, like use the estimator to help you target schools is what I'm saying. And then apply broadly and expect the, the results to vary, you know, some good, some better, some worse. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be surprised if you didn't get some good offers. Yep. Next one from Scylla says, what do you do when you're a splitter. So also an another one from a splitter. Go ahead. Okay. After reading up on the CAS system, that's the Cred credential assembly service. Yep. That's a service provided by LSAC. Yep. And how one's GPA is calculated. I've come to the realization that no matter how good I finish my undergrad career off, I've kind of screwed myself. Background. I'm 32 up until a few years ago. So most of my life, I struggled with homelessness and recently was diagnosed with bipolar depression. Between homelessness and the BPD, I've gone to five different undergrad schools for my associates, 
It will be six once I finish my BA. I did pretty horrifically up until I gained stable housing in my late 20s. And once I'm steady on proper medication, I know full well A's will be in my future because on mentally clear semesters, I have no problem getting all A's. I've retaken most classes I failed, but according to LSAC, those failures still count on my CAS GPA. What can I do about this? Nothing. You can't do anything about it. You, you're going to have a bad GPA when you apply to law school. There's nothing you can do about that. You, the, the only thing you can do is counterbalance it with the best LSAT you can. And Scylla is not mentioning the LSAT here at all. That's okay because you're still an undergrad. So you should, you know, finish your undergrad, get the best grades you can. You do need to be able to point to a consistent record of better grades at the end of your education because you've got a real spotty educational record and they're going to be like, man, we're a school. You've been to five different schools just to get your associates and you have a, an explanation for it, but you need to show them that that's in the past and that you're now ready for law school. So the way you do that is by getting all A's at the end of your undergrad. Um, so you can do that. You're still going to have a shitty GPA though. Like from GPA, from a GPA perspective, you're going to be reporting a shitty GPA. So you need a really good LSAT. And again, I would encourage you to go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Our scholarship estimator is your friend. Put in whatever you think your GPA is going to be when it's all said and done and play around with various LSATs. Try 140, 150, 160, 170 and see what it does to your likely offers. Yeah. So to recap, the best way to solve this problem is to get all A's now yep. to show, hey, look, my GPA is not reflective of who I am today and get the best LSAT score you can get. Perfect. Wyatt has an email here that says STEM major UGPA considerations. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm currently still an undergrad and planning on starting to take my official LSATs in December to apply for the next admission cycle. I'm a mechanical engineering undergrad with a minor in computer science and thusly, hmm, I don't know if I've used that <laughs> word before, thusly have a lower GPA than other more traditional applicants, roughly 3.35. I've been told by advisors that I should not worry about my UGPA since there will be considerations for my undergrad degree. However, I am still concerned as to how much this will impact my admissions opportunities as well as scholarships. If you guys have any insight, it would be very much appreciated. Best regards, Wyatt. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that first cut, you know, they really do put your GPA and your LSAT score into a spreadsheet and calculate one number for everybody in their class, you know, like a weighted thing between LSAT and GPA, right? They call that an index formula, but yeah. they're just weighting LSAT and GPA for purposes of who they want to admit ranking the candidates. And yeah, your GPA is going to be bringing you down, <clears throat> but so you need an LSAT that's going to get you in the conversation for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, if you apply with low LSAT and low GPA, then they probably don't end up ever seeing this mechanical engineering degree. They're just not going to look at your application that seriously if you don't get the right LSAT. But if you do get the right LSAT, then you become a splitter and 
at that point, they look into your record a little more deeply. And boy, when they see that you're a mechanical engineering, you know, computer science major, I almost can't imagine somebody like I can't imagine a major that they would like more. Really, I I think that's the very best possible. (laughs) I mean, there's other ones that are really good, right? But anything technical. They're going to look at that and go, oh, yeah, you're going to be able to handle this stuff like you're going to be great at reading statutes. And applying rule sets, you're going to be awesome at that stuff. And, you know, and, and things like, oh, this person could be probably a member of the patent bar. And this, you know, this is somebody who has an actual credible case to go into intellectual property law which almost nobody actually does in real life because they don't have any kind of like technical chops to be able to understand what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. But you do. So yeah, you're like extremely employable. You, that looks like somebody who's going to be very good for, for my employment stats. If I'm a, a a school. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I think they're going to love it. You probably do want to write an addendum that points to your, you know, like just says things like, here's the average GPA for my major. You know, the average GPA for my major is 3.2 and I have a 3.35, something yep. like that. But which it's puts the LSAT. me in the whatever percentile for my class. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Just but just state facts. You don't need to, like, have any kind of conclusions about it. You just state the facts and they'll go, oh, yeah, OK, I see what you're saying here. Um, But the LSAT is the thing that really brings them to the table without that LSAT. You know, you have to it's that that's the demonstration of like, I didn't get bad grades because I, I because I don't work hard or I didn't get bad grades because I can't figure shit out. You have to demonstrate that with an LSAT. And then I don't think this is I don't, I don't yeah. think you're going to have to worry about it, Wyatt. OK, be LSAT famous. Ask us questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 425 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>